We're going to do some praying together tonight, uh, a little bit more in a, in, a, in a bit, but let's just pray together coming out of that, uh, that song. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer, if you'll join me in praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is great to welcome you uh, to Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong, one of the pastors here. Thank you for being with us today. And so many of you joining us online, uh, we welcome you and we're grateful that you are here. Uh, these five men that you see uh, on the screen here have met together for over 10 years uh, to drink coffee, study the Bible, pray for each other, and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, they actually, I know a bit of their story, uh, they've been together, I think, almost 12 years. They were faithful to um, Panera Bread for about 10 of those years, and there was some kind of breakup along the way. I'm not sure exactly what happened, uh, but now they go to uh, Just Love Coffee. It coincided when Panera changed their cinnamon roll. I don't know if that messed any of you all up like it did our family. But they go to Just Love Coffee. And um, when they showed up to Just Love Coffee last Tuesday, they came in to find just as they got there early, just as the staff was coming in and the staff had found that overnight the cafe had flooded. Uh, there'd been a leak and there was, there was water everywhere. So they had come to study their Bibles and to drink their, their coffee. And instead they rolled up their sleeves and they started cleaning the coffee shop. And uh, one of the guys had tools in his truck and he went back out and he actually had some plumbing skill and he actually stopped uh, the leak. And we learned about it on social media. The shop owner, who's also a Providence Church member, shout out to Tracy, uh, was giving thanks for these five guys who came to pray in the coffee shop that morning and instead ended up getting on their knees and cleaning the floors and got the, the shop back open to operating that day. Really cool stuff. And I'm telling you about it because we have a bunch of folks who do things like that, meaning they gather together regularly, the same people study the Bible, they pray, they, they, they hold each other accountable. They, people who've decided that following Jesus for them is everything. So they don't have everything figured out, but they're giving everything to him. And I, I have known very few disciples who haven't had some smaller group of people, whether it's in person or over the phone or a way that they meet with and connect with. And uh, that's what we're calling here at Providence, a new thing that we're launching called discipleship groups. That's what discipleship groups are all about. And I wanted you to know about it. We're having a launch event Sunday at 2 p.m. And what we're gonna do is share a little bit more about what a discipleship group does. They focus on accountability and prayer and growth together. We'll talk about what a typical gathering looks like. Uh, we'll help you find a group if you don't already uh, have a group of people that you wanna be with. If you already have a group of men or women that you wanna be with, we'll kind of equip you to do that. I just wanted you to know about it. If you're here in the room now or watching online that you can sign up at prov.church slash disciples. Uh, and also just join us 2 p.m. on Sunday to get going. If you're ready, we're kind of been talking about going deeper. So that's a step 
uh, of going deeper. And also what we've been talking about here at Providence is that we're going to study one book of the Bible called John for the next, uh, it's going to be a lot of months. I won't, I won't overwhelm you with how long it's going to be, next nine months or so. And the book of John, we're told by John who wrote it, is situated around or written around miracles. John calls them signs, but the signs are miracles. And um, we're going to look uh, for the next couple of months specifically at why John uses miracles as the founding kind of pillars around which he would write his story. So uh, it says in John chapter 20 that Jesus performed many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded. So we don't even know all of the miracles that Jesus worked, but he says, but these are written. So the ones we have, John tells us seven miracles. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we're embarking on a couple months. I just kind of wanted you to know where we are, exploration of the miracles. And the first miracle recorded in John, we looked at last week, and it was wine at a party, water into wine at a party. And I don't know if, you, if you're like me, maybe there might be some part of you that you're like, I really don't want Jesus' first miracle to be wine <laughs> at a party. Some of you are like, I like that just fine. But you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's a part, it's like, I need something more from you, Jesus. You know, I, could, could the first miracle be about saving somebody's life? or bringing a sick person back to health, or feeding a bunch of people, or, or, or something like that. And so I understand that, but a part of us walking through the book of John and looking at how he describes Jesus is we are going to have to let Jesus be who Jesus is. And we're gonna to have to let Jesus do what Jesus does. And there's gonna be some times we scratch our heads or even shrug our shoulders. And that's an opportunity for us to step into a little bit deeper to see what is actually going on. We don't get to just come up with sensible miracles that make sense to us and that work on our timetable. Jesus' first miracle was more wine at a party when the wine ran out, okay? And so we keep reading. This miracle happens in a place called Cana of Galilee. Cana is up near the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. That's where Jesus did most of his hanging out. It's where he was from, Nazareth, which is just a little, uh, a little bit west of the Sea of Galilee. And most of our stories about Jesus and the miracles happen up in that area, places called Bethsaida and Capernaum. And so that's sort of Jesus' zone. But what happens after the miracle at Cana of Galilee is Jesus travels down south to Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. The Jewish Passover was a very important, if not the most important religious, and at that time, you know, national holiday in that area. It included many observances that would take place in the holy city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is going down to Jerusalem from his usual place with everybody else for some really important things. So keep in mind as I, as I read you some scripture that John chapter two has two stories. It has the story of the miracle of water into wine, and then immediately the story that I'm gonna tell you right now, okay? So it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, this is John chapter two, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, the reason it says up to Jerusalem, he's going south, so we would say down to Jerusalem, but for them, they weren't thinking about north, south, east, west. He went up in elevation. So going from where he was in the north, it's not that important, but it's kind of cool. If he's going from the north to the south, he's going up from a lower level near the sea up to the heights of Jerusalem. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Jesus does not like this, okay? Jesus does not 
like this. And so he makes a whip out of cords. You know you have that friend who when he gets angry, he goes and makes a whip. No, nobody has that friend, right? That's weird. Some of you are like, my mama was that friend. So you know what I'm saying? But like, he, he, I mean, he is filled with some kind of emotion that he crafts a whip out of cords. He drives all of them from the temple courts, all the sheep, all the cattle. He scatters the coins of the money changers and overturns their tables. To those who sell doves, he says, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. In Matthew's telling of this story, Jesus says, this is not what this place is for. My house is a house of prayer. Why are y'all selling cows? I added the, why are you selling cows? But he does say, my house is a house of prayer. His disciples, it says, remembered that it is written. So they're remembering an old scripture that it says it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So if Jesus is getting angry here, he's not having a temper tantrum, okay? It is what we would call a right anger, a righteous anger. He loves what we would call today the church. And when he walked in the temple, he said, this ain't it. So listen to this. It says, the Jews then responded to him, what sign, remember a miracle, can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They're asking Jesus for a little bit more. If you're gonna be the guy who drives people out with whips and turns over our money tables and drives out our commerce, we need to know who you really are. Imagine, you know, if someone were to come into the room right now and start causing a fuss of some sort, I don't wanna give any examples because I don't want y'all doing anything. But if somebody came in and did stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing, one of the first things we would think, right, is who do you think you are? to come into this place and start doing that? And that's what they were saying to Jesus. This guy who's traveled down from up in Nazareth or Cana or wherever he came from, and he's coming into our father's house and he's causing such a fuss. And so they say, if you're gonna do that, you better be someone who can work some kind of sign or miracle to prove that. And here's what Jesus said to answer. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They're like, who are you? What can you do? He says, destroy the temple. I will raise it again in three days. Well, that makes them angry. And so they say, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? You hear what they're saying, right? Who do you think you are? Our huge expansive temple built nearly a half century. It took our forefathers to build it. You say, tear it down and you'll build it back in three days. But listen, the temple he was speaking of was his body. The miracle, the sign he was letting them in on was not about the building. And after he was raised from the dead, spoiler alert, comes later, his disciples remembered that moment. After Jesus was raised from the dead, you picture the disciples, they're walking out on roads, they can't believe this has happened, and they said, oh my goodness, do you remember what Jesus said the day in the temple when he turned over the tables? He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. And John uses miracles to tell the story of Jesus. A miracle is simply something that cannot happen outside of the power of God. It might be something we would say it's impossible, but it happens anyway. 
When I posted on Instagram, how many of you guys follow me on Instagram? No, I'm just kidding. When I posted on Instagram that we were beginning a series called Believe in Miracles, one of the first comments, I think it was the second comment, one of the first comments that I got, I said, hey, we're starting this thing called Believe in Miracles. We're gonna look at Jesus' miracles. One of the first comments I got was somebody that said, I don't believe in miracles. And they put the emoji of the shrug guy, you know, the shrug shoulders. So that was their comment. I said, we're going to talk about miracles. They said, I don't believe in miracles. And he was kind of, he wasn't being mean. He was just kind of like, that's kind of where I'm at. Sorry, I don't believe in miracles. And my response was something I replied to. It. I said, I get it. But what I'll say to, to y'all a little bit more is, you know, miracles by definition are hard to believe. Miracles by definition kind of make us shrug our shoulders. And, and many of us, many of you maybe have a long list of reasons why you're not quite ready to believe in them. Reasons like, I've never seen one. That's a big reason, right? Never seen a miracle. I've been around for a while. Or you might say, uh, I hear this, you know, people will say, I hear people talk about something that's a miracle. They say, this is a miracle, but I can see how it can be explained, right? So how's that a miracle? Worse than that, sometimes we might say, somebody told me this was a miracle, but I see how it was manipulated, how somebody seemed to make it happen. And the biggest reason I think that I've seen as a pastor is somebody will say, I don't believe in miracles. I prayed for one and it's never happened. And if I had to guess about this gentleman who posted on my Instagram, I'm just guessing, my guess would be that that's probably the case. He said, I, and I prayed for a miracle and it never happened. So I'm not too big on all your miracle talk. And so it would be easy, there, uh, there is a, a part of this that would be easy to try to pass over all the miracles. Um, it could be tempting to not talk about miracles because talking about miracles is really messy and it creates instantly a bunch of questions that are not easy to answer. But the more I thought about it, it actually wouldn't be easy to ignore the miracles of the Jesus story. It would actually be almost impossible to tell the story of Jesus by ignoring the miracles, even the writers who told this story situated it around miracles. But this happens, right? Because of what we encounter in this world where things are so difficult that we begin to reduce down who Jesus is, or at least who we're told Jesus is, to try to get our mind around it. This has happened over and over. People reduce Jesus down to a great teacher. Was Jesus a great teacher? Yes, he was a great teacher. But for some, they're just like, he was just a great teacher. Can we just let him be a great teacher? And the writers of the gospel say, no, you can't. Or, or they might say, Jesus is... is Jesus is a great moral guide. He gives us a great kind of moral boundary. And that's true, but that's not all that Jesus was. Or some say Jesus was a great, he was a prophet. You know, he told us some cool things. But when you read the story, it doesn't really allow you to do that. But we can try to reduce some of these miracles. The feeding of the 5,000, that was one we'll get to uh, in a couple of months that we'll see. It's one of John's miracles that he tells us about. And people will say, yeah, that's cool. I could see how that could happen. They didn't have food. And probably what happened is, you know, people had food they hadn't really talked about. They started pulling out of their pockets. All the things, next thing you know, 5,000 people have eaten all this food. That's a miracle, right? It, it is a miracle of sorts. But if you read the story, it does not allow you to believe that. Um, it can get even more drastic than that. Even some of my teachers in seminary, Diana, would say like, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, that's really amazing, but it wasn't a real resurrection. It wasn't like his body was really resurrected. It wasn't a bodily resurrection. I mean, like, are we seriously saying his body was resurrected? That's never happened, but it was a beautiful thing. The disciples then gave their life to the cause of Christ. It was a sort of metaphorical resurrection of their lives that they would live their life in a new way. And you hear all that stuff. And I'm just telling you, that's a different story than what John tells. And John is gonna show us that you actually do not need a metaphorical resurrection. You need a real one. 
because you're going to come to some point where you need your body raised from the dead. I'm just telling you, like we can get into all the philosophy and how to feel good and all this stuff, and, but there's going to come a point when you're going to need this thing to come back to life. What sign can you show us, Jesus? And he says, this temple is going to be destroyed. I'll raise it in three days. But he was talking about this temple. There are a lot of stories. There are a lot of um, ideologies on which you can hang your life. Um, ours is one of miracles. And, and so there's all kinds of ways you can go, but ours is one of, of things happen that cannot be explained outside of the power of God. And so we have to wrestle within the mystery to see what God is showing us. I will ask for your patience in that because it's a wrestling and I will offer you uh, patience when you shrug your shoulders, like we're for real talking about this. But yes, you will need to know that I believe in miracles. I've seen a little baby who when Pastor Mark and I were called in because his kidneys had not functioned for 36 hours and they thought that he was dying. His parents who are here tonight uh, asked us to come to baptize him. And I saw Pastor Mark, I didn't know what he was up to, but he prayed this prayer in a very calm voice and he said, God, we're asking you to make Wyatt's kidneys start working right now. And his kidneys started working. And by the time Mark and I got back to the church, he'd filled up three or four diapers. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, while I'm saying this, Wyatt is in Providence, kids. Right now. I just asked his mom before I walked up here. I saw this kid named Doug. Our church was founded on a miracle, okay? 17-year-old boy whose neck was broken. I was in the Vanderbilt trauma unit when they said he would never walk again. He hit one of those big bumps on Central Pike that a bunch of us kids hit going too fast. And he did one night and they life fighted in there. And I saw a brand new church begin to pray for this boy. This was in 2009. And one day we met in a school building. He walked into the back of the church on a walker and our little church stood up and cheered for him. And it became a founding moment because that group of people, the people that are now Providence Church, begin to believe that God can do anything. And Doug is now grown up. He's a counselor in this city, and he counsels teenagers and leads them closer to Christ. I have also, give me just a second, I have also prayed in Vanderbilt Hospital's cavernous lobby where we prayed for Doug that night. Since then, I've prayed in every corner of it, in the balcony, all around it, and I have prayed for miracles in that lobby that did not happen. I have been back to Centennial Hospital in the hallways where Wyatt was, and I have prayed for babies that did not have the same result. And so believing in miracles is not manipulating them to happen. Believing in miracles is not getting them scheduled on your calendar. The very nature of a miracle is that we're saying, this is outside of my control. The miracles, listen to what John calls the miracles. He says, the miracles are signs pointing us to the cross and to the tomb. The miracles are our guidepost 
All of us are going to encounter physical death in this life, so any miracle that we pray for. But what these miracles are, the miracles of Jesus have a purpose, and they are to reveal the glory of Christ that happens on the cross and in the grave through the very real bodily resurrection of Jesus. John uses the word miracle 24 times, but he uses the word sign because they're all pointing. They're all pointing. Here's what Jesus' miracles uh, lead us to. Jesus' miracles lead us to believe. When Jesus turned water into wine, if you go back and look in chapter two, it says it revealed Jesus' glory and the disciples believed in him. That's what happened when the water turned into wine. Why was Jesus trying to have a better party? Maybe that was a part of it, but it says the purpose was is that his glory was revealed and the disciples believed in him. In John chapter four, he says, unless you people, so let's be the people right now. Unless you people see signs and wonders, signs and wonders, you will never believe. Jesus saying, I know how y'all work. And when we see something that can't be explained except by God, the result is belief. Jesus' miracles show us that he can do anything. This is what we find in the progression of John's seven miracles that we're gonna look at in depth. Water into wine, nicely done, Jesus. Cool party treat trick, you know? A couple of you guys would have loved that one in college, you know? It's like, that's a great, great thing that you did, but what's the purpose? Watch the progression. That's the first miracle. The second miracle is there's a sick kid. Do you know how a parent feels when their kid is sick? There's a sick kid, and Jesus makes him well, and so we say, ooh, this is getting serious, and we walk through, I'm not gonna give all of them, but by the time we get to the seventh miracle in the book of John, it's one of Jesus' friends named Lazarus who's dead. He starts taking off grave clothes and walking out. We're like, oh my goodness, Jesus can actually do anything. <laughs> John intentionally shares seven miracles to show us who Jesus is, to reveal his glory so that we might believe. And Jesus' miracles involve waiting and mystery and show us there is much we don't understand. If you're in the room or you're watching right now and you're like, I've prayed for a miracle, I haven't seen it, we please, I, we please have patience with me and I'll have patience with you. There's a lot of questions we're gonna look at over the next six weeks or so that come with miracles, but we're not gonna ignore the miracles just because of the questions. I have to tell you about Wyatt because I saw it with my own eyes and it did something to my faith. I can also tell you about the times that I got deeper into mystery and more questions came. Miracles actually don't clear everything up. They just keep us focused on God. They're signs, they're pointing us. Miracles make any thinking person ask what we've already been asking as we've heard all this. And we're like, where, what, who, why? Jesus, you turned water into wine. Where were you when I needed you? You're doing party tricks. Uh, one of the miracles in John is this guy laid on the ground 38 years. He, could, he was an in, invalid, he couldn't walk. And then he gets, it's a miracle, he can, he can walk again. We're like, well, why didn't you show up 37 years and 11 months earlier? Or you might say, why him, Jesus? What about the 100 other guys laying on the ground? I'm just giving you some of the questions. Where were you when I cried out? Why wasn't that the right time? Why wasn't I the right one? The miracles of Jesus involve mystery and waiting, and there is much we don't understand. 
Miracles show us that there's actually no way we can control. We want this miracle, but what miracles are actually showing us is that we actually cannot manipulate our lives to have perfect health every moment and make everything go the way we want it. Instead, we're being, Jesus' glory is being revealed. And so we're looking to him as the only hope in this life and the next. And we're gonna explore the questions that come, uh, come out of that. But for today, okay, for today, notice this. John chapter two, we have water into wine and Jesus turning over tables. John chapter two, water into wine, turning over tables. Here's what I see. First this, Jesus works a miracle outside of the church, outside of the building. It's clear he's at a party in the place that's far away from where they think God resides. He works a miracle outside of the church. And then he goes into the church and says, we got to get back to praying in here. Right? The wine into water was showing that the power of God is not confined to the temple. God is showing up at wedding parties. This is God in flesh. Remember, God moves into the neighborhood. He doesn't live in a tower in the temple. He's showing up in our lives. It's showing us that miracles can happen when Jesus is present. My daughter, Mary, turned 18 yesterday. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And we held last night at our house a party for her. All week long, I have been so happy. This may sound crazy to you, but I'm just gonna say it. All week long, I've been so happy thinking that Jesus cares about my daughter's party. She is so important to me that I have emotion just saying that. Her birthday is so important to me and her mom. And Jesus cares about it too. He cares about us making the preparations. He cared about Rachel wanting it to be just right. He cared about us uh, going to the jewelry store at the last moment and buying something we probably shouldn't have bought. She's our daughter. Thank you, Jesus, for caring about what happens at our parties. We had all these 18-year-olds at our house, which I do not dig at all. And we got in the kitchen. I had grilled hamburgers. And uh, Rachel's like, we should pray, you know. And, and so we got the food. And this goofy guy, I don't even know who he is. He's like, he says, let's hold hands. <laughs> Remember? And um, I'm like, man, who are you? my kitchen, you know, and all those guys held hands. On a rainy Wednesday night, I got to pray over my daughter in the hamburgers. Miracle. Maybe what happened to Just Love Coffee on Tuesday doesn't seem like a miracle at first, but it was to Tracy, a young woman who took a big risk to start a business during a pandemic, a single mom at the time. She went for it. And when it looked like her place was flooded out, here come five disciples of Jesus with wrenches in their hands. That looks a lot like Jesus moving into the neighborhood and working miracles. So Jesus works miracles outside of the temple. And then when he comes in the church, he says, you guys need to get back to praying. This place is supposed to be about prayer. It's supposed to be about connecting with God. Oh, what have you made it? You're worried about the finances? Hmm. And so he drives the cattle out and he flips the tables over. 
he is serious. He is making a whip serious about what his house is supposed to be about. And so we come here, we worship. It's not about commerce. If our church is funded financially, it will not be through a cattle sale in the lobby. We pray, we pray, we give, we sacrifice, we worship, we trust, we pray, and God takes care of us. And the people in the temple, they're like, how can you do and say all this, Jesus? Like, you're, you're, we don't understand. We don't understand where you're working miracles, how you're working miracles, and then you're coming in here and turn, we've heard you're this great, you know, miracle worker, and now you're turning over our tables? Like, what, what are you doing? How can you prove to us that you're from God? And Jesus says, oh, here's how I can prove it. Destroy this temple. I'll raise it back in three days. But he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. The whole story of John is pointing to what's going to happen through Jesus' body, being nailed to a cross, fully dead, and then fully risen and walking around. And here's the crazy thing, <laughs> if you'll give me just one more thing. Later, when the scriptures talk about Christ's body, they're talking about us. Hmm. Jesus here is talking about his body, clearly. Don't mishear me. He's talking about the resurrection that's to come of his body. But when he says, uh, when he says in the church what the church should be about, we see later the image given to the church is the body of Christ. So um, Jesus' body really was resurrected, but it's also a sign pointing to us as his body, the miracles that will now walk into the neighborhoods being Jesus. So we are his body, and so we go to parties, and we go into coffee shops early in the morning, and we go into hospitals, and when we come into the temple, we pray. So I want to pray. I want us to pray for a little bit, because we have a lot to pray about, don't we? And um, I, I want us to pray uh, for the world, for Ukraine, for peace, for protection for military. I want us to pray for our, our land, our nation, our government leaders, the people that are making decisions. I want us to pray for our community. Um, I want us to pray for our bodies that may be hurting tonight. Uh, but I'm going to start by praying for the body of Christ, the church, Okay. And I have never done this, but I feel like I just want to get on my knees as your pastor and pray over this church, okay? So let us pray. Oh God, thank you for letting me be a pastor of this church, this part of the body of Christ. And I pray that this church would be a signpost in this community, that when people see us walking into the coffee shops or walking into uh, the, the neighborhoods, or going to parties, or going to hospitals, that when that happens, that your glory, Jesus, would be revealed, and people would begin to believe in you through the miracle that you're working through us, that we would say, we're broken. Our bodies are hurting. We've gone through difficult things. We've, we pray sometimes, and we don't always see the result, but we have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he gets to do what he wants to do. And if he needs to come in this church today, 
and turn over the tables. It's your church, Jesus. Show us the error of our ways. Show us where we've taken our eyes off where we should be trusting in you and been trying to manipulate what could happen so we could be great or we could have what we need. I pray, God, for this church, Providence Church, that we would truly be the body of Christ for the world. We pray for our world, Lord. Um, We pray for um, Eastern Europe and Ukraine. We pray for the deaths and the loss, the violence and the evil that has been perpetrated even on this day. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. We pray for the body of Christ, the church in Ukraine and Belarus, Russia. We pray for the faithful followers who are on their knees right now. We pray alongside of them in the spirit that they are not alone, but we are with them and you are with them. And we pray for miracles to happen. We pray that there will be stories told of the days that are before us now where you worked in a mighty way to save your people. God, we pray for um, those who are uh, giving their lives to protecting people in the military and police, people who are willing now to give their very lives. We pray for their families. We pray for our military and for our country and for our president and for our government and for our administrations who have to make the most difficult, complex decisions. And we pray that your spirit would be a part of it. We pray that this would not be known as the era where the world went back to war, but where the church came alive and that the people of God stood up and that righteousness poured down and justice happened and that where God worked a miracle to save us. We pray, God, for uh, our community that we live in, where our kids go to school. You got parents like me who have 18-year-old kids and think, I have no idea what I'm doing. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches. Help us to pour in to this next generation so that they would rise up and be strong in the church, that more and more people would know that the good things that you're doing on this earth are to point us to see the cross and the forgiveness of our sins and the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I wanna invite you to stand. We're just gonna worship this Jesus and believe, believe, believe that he can do all things.